you're listening to the Living Lympho Podcast, a podcast that preaches and truly believes that cancer survived is a life revived. I am Chad Landry, and on today's show, we are speaking with Dr. Bob Vasquez. Bob is an MD, PhD. He runs the Pediatric Hematology and Oncology Department at Ochsner Medical Center for Children. He's also director of Ochsner's AYA Cancer and Survivor Program, as well as their Pediatric Stem Cell Transplant Program. Dr. Vasquez is also a clinical assistant professor of pediatrics at Tulane School of Medicine and a senior lecturer in pediatrics at University of Queensland School of Medicine. In today's show, we really want to focus and do a deep dive on a program that Bob recently started, I say recently, a couple of years ago, uh, over at Oshner here in New Orleans called the AYA Cancer Program. This program is a, a program that's really interesting, particularly for me, somebody who is a 20-year-plus uh, lymphoma cancer survivor, uh, having gotten it at 20 years old. The interesting background on this is that teens and young adults with cancer have different needs and treatment challenges from children or older adults, yet cancer units are typically divided into pediatric and adult cancer care, where teens and young adults represent a distinct minority. At the majority of pediatric cancer centers, 90% of the patients are under the age of 15, and at most of the adult cancer centers, 90% of the patients are over the age of 40. So there's obviously a a big need uh, for those individuals that are age 16 to 39 to have a more tailored cancer care program. Um, So today we'd really like to talk in detail about the the AYA cancer program started by Dr. Bob Vasquez. But before we do, uh, we'd first like to get a little bit of background on Bob and I'd like to introduce Dr. Bob Vasquez. Bob, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you're a rare breed uh, being one of the very few professionals that are transplant New Orleanians here. So uh, please introduce yourself. Uh, well, thank you, Chad. And thank you for actually uh, organizing this podcast. I'm very happy to talk about AYA. It's something I uh, feel very passionately about. And yes, I am a transplant. I was born and raised in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And uh, in terms of uh, whether or not I'm an Eagles or Steelers fan, which is one of the usual <laughs> first questions, neither, actually. I grew up a Jets fan, a little further away in, in, in New York. Uh, and never really liked the Eagles at all. The Steelers are okay. Okay. Well, that's good. Obviously, a lot of, a lot of training, a lot of school, um, your PhD, you're an MD. Tell us a little bit about your educational background, why you decided to go to med school after spending so many years as a researcher on the cancer side. Ah, that's a good question. So when I was a kid, from the time I was probably eight or nine years old, I thought that I wanted to be a doctor. While I was in college, I thought about that, and I really got hooked on cell biology. Cell biology is is kind of the area that deals with, sort of like it sounds, uh, the biology of how cells work. Uh, and particularly, I was interested in cancer research. So rather than doing an MD after uh, finishing college, I decided to do a PhD in cell biology. While I was working as a researcher doing a postdoctoral fellowship at uh, Cornell Medical School, I started thinking again about kind of a need within me to actually have more of a kind of human benefit to what I was doing um, and decided to go to medical school and to do both, combine research and, uh, and medicine. I got to think that having such a strong research background that that's really benefited you as a physician, just in terms of 
seeing patients and the way you may think about things. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? And just having a research background, it's sort of, uh, you don't see too many guys that spend 10 years in research and decide to go back to med school. Um, you don't see many people who, but there are quite a few MD, PhDs out there. And does it help the way you think? I think in some ways it does. In some ways it actually hinders you. But uh, I do think that my approach might be a little bit different because of my scientific training. Gotcha. I do think that my clinical training actually in many ways allows better scientific questions. Many uh, basic scientists don't are, are extremely good at what they do, but in terms of clinical application, don't really understand necessarily what is, is needed. Um, the ideal kind of position for a somebody with a research training and uh, and a medical training to be in is to do something like translational research, where you're taking things from the bench to the bedside. So you're kind of translating um, the basic science research into things that actually help people. So in, in terms of, um, I, like you, I know you went to, to school and, and, uh, for pediatrics, and then can you talk a little bit about um, the pediatric residency and the term of the pediatric residency? And Sure. After doing medical school in uh, New York City, I went to SUNY Downstate, which is in Brooklyn. Um, I initially thought I was going to be an adult oncologist. Um, I had no interest in pediatrics at all. When I was a third-year medical student, if you had asked me what I was going to do, I would have said internal medicine and adult oncology. I was, after all, I was a cancer researcher, or maybe dermatology because I really liked the idea that that was uh, visual and you spend a lot of time looking through a microscope, and I was good at that. Uh, and then I did my pediatrics rotation, and I loved it. And I thought, no, I don't want to be a pediatrician. Um, I, I, I can't imagine myself doing that. And um, I did a pediatric oncology rotation, and I loved it. Uh, and so in my fourth year of medical school, I made the decision to apply for pediatrics and knowing that I was going to be uh, going into pediatric oncology. It surprised me more than it surprised anyone else. Okay. Uh, this adolescent young adult uh, cancer program that um, you've sort of started and, and, and brought to Ochsner Hospital here in New Orleans, um, when were you first introduced to, to this program? I think there's several others in the country, but uh, mm -hmm. it's new to greater New Orleans area, I think new to the state of Louisiana mm -hmm. um, in terms of the program. But when were you first introduced to the program? So uh, adolescent and young adult oncology is a relatively new field, though there have been proponents of it for quite a long time. People like Archie Blyer for more than 30 years has been advocating for the idea that this is really a separate discipline and needs to be um, addressed in different ways than either pediatric or adult oncology. Um, I did my pediatrics residency and my pediatric oncology fellowship at the University of Chicago Hospitals. And the University of Chicago has um, a faculty member there, Wendy Stock, who uh, actually led one of the large national trials looking at adolescent and young oncology, particularly at uh, acute lymphoblastic leukemia and differences in treatment regimens um, from pediatric-style treatment to adult uh, treatment and what those outcomes were. Uh, so I first became interested in it during my pediatric residency. In addition to my uh, pediatric oncology fellowship, I took care of a lot of young adult patients. and. The approach that we use as pediatric oncologists are very different than the approaches that adult oncologists use, and the treatments can be vastly different. And one of the things, anecdotally, that many pediatric oncologists knew is, for example, our kids with leukemia who were treated, our 20-year-olds, 25-year-olds were treated with leukemia, did really well, where when you looked at the adult data, that wasn't the case. Uh, and so anecdotally, we knew for a long time that it seemed like this worked for that age group. The other thing I would say is that uh, as a pediatrician, I'm trained to deal with teenagers, 17, 18, 19-year-olds. Internists, by and large, receive a lot of their training in people who are over the age of 60. Most inpatient medicine units are filled with patients who are older. 
Uh, I think most 25-year-olds are physiologically and psychologically a lot closer to 18-year-olds than they are to 60-year-olds. So I would argue the pediatricians probably are in good position to treat that age group anyway. I know there's um, several or, or multiple different components to the to the AYA program. Um, it's sort of a one-stop shop if you happen to come down with cancer from age 16 to 39. Um, you guys have this comprehensive program with that's multifaceted. Could you just talk about the different components that make up the AYA, um, you know, as it relates to fertility, as it relates to, um, you know, anxiety, post-traumatic stress, all those different things that kind of run the gambit that I think make it, you know, very comprehensive, very interesting, and I think very appealing to anyone that comes down with cancer in that age bracket. Happy to. Um, as you said, there are um, adolescent and young adult programs throughout the country. Um, relatively new, most of them. Some of them are, have been around for a little bit longer. Places like Seattle and Portland have been doing this for a while. Um, their approaches are all a little bit different. Uh, the reason my inspiration for this came by combining what I'd seen in places like Portland, Seattle, in terms of their having specialized care for adolescent and young adults with something that I saw when I visited Boston Children's. They had a clinic for patients with graft-versus-host disease after stem cell transplant. And rather than having the patients come back and forth to see different providers, they had a round robin where they had multiple providers there so the patients could see all the providers at one visit. And I thought, wow, wouldn't it be great to do that with adolescent and young adult oncology? Rather than having patients come back and forth to see different providers, why not have all the providers there at one time discussing, discussing the patients before they come in and the patients having a long visit, but a single visit where they could see all the different providers that they need. Um, and so the different services that we offer are, I'm a pediatric oncologist. My co uh, colleague, Andy Delavisio, uh, is an adult oncologist. So for patients that are in their 20s, we discuss from an adult oncology point of view for, for, and a pediatric point of view, what care would be best for these patients, whether or not they're going to be treated with pediatric protocols or more adult protocols. If they're older patients in their 30s uh, and they're being treated with a pediatric protocol, Dr. Delavisio will keep an eye out for more adult diseases that he's more familiar with, the comorbidities that can happen. Um, and so they get the benefit of seeing both a pediatrician and an adult doctor. We also then have a psychologist and a social worker because, as you mentioned, things like PTSD and anxiety often accompany cancer diagnoses. In fact, it would be difficult to imagine getting a cancer diagnosis and not seeing somebody having a lot of anxiety and difficulties dealing with it, especially at this age. We also make sure that every patient gets reproductive counseling at the type of time of diagnosis. So we work with uh, both a urologist for, for our male patients and a reproductive endocrinologist for our female patients to make sure that, as best we can, we preserve fertility for these patients before they undergo chemotherapy. We have an exercise counselor because staying fit during cancer therapy is a really important part of cancer therapy. Uh, we have a nutritionist because diet is a very important part of cancer therapy as well, and some of our treatments can actually make people less hungry or actually sometimes gain weight. So speaking with a nutritionist can be very beneficial. Uh, we have an endocrinologist for patients with things like brain tumors, uh, where they uh, oftentimes have problems with their hormones. Um, and all of us get together, and oh, and a geneticist, I'm sorry, and a geneticist who will evaluate for potential genes, genetic syndromes uh, in patients where that could potentially be going on. Uh, and all of us get together and discuss these patients. Um, and then the patients have a long interview before they come in to see us with our coordinator, who then decides with the patient what services they need and they'll see any up to five to six providers within a single visit. Such a comprehensive um, program, a lot of 
different moving pieces um, in it. What cancers, I know it's for, you know, for ages 16 to 39, but what cancers are most applicable, would you say, to the AYA cancer program? What, what cancers do you tend to see the most of as it relates to your AYA cancer program? That's a great question. <clears throat> there are some cancers that within the AYA population that are shared with our pediatric population, things like acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Um, there are some that are uniquely AYA cancers, one of them, not uni- if not uniquely, inordinately common in the AYA population. One of them is lymphomas. Lymphomas, one of the most common ages are the teen years, to Hodgkin's and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, and then there are other cancers that are more like the adults' uh, cancers. So, and then we tend to see those in, in AYA patients that are a little bit older, maybe in their 30s. And those, when you start seeing carcinomas, breast cancers, and things like that start to emerge. Um, the most common cancers that we see are leukemias and lymphomas within this age group. Uh, and the way we're going to treat them depends a lot specifically on what type of uh, leukemia or lymphoma it is. Uh, but for things like ALL, uh, ALL is, has, there's been a revolution in the treatment of acute lymphoblastic leukemia in the AYA population. Wendy Stock, who was the, my colleague at the University of Chicago, who I mentioned, um, the study that she ran was a national study where they compared adult versus pediatric treatment for ALL for patients up to age 39. And they compared that to historical controls using adult therapy. And they showed that patients treated with pediatric therapy had greater than a 70% cure rate, where traditional adult therapy led to a 30% cure rate. So now the standard of care for patients who are within that age, up to age 39, is to receive pediatric-style ALL therapy, which is dramatically different than adult therapy for uh, for this type of leukemia. So yeah, I would say primarily we see a lot of leukemias and lymphomas, but our clinic is not designed to take care of a single cancer. It's more designed to take care of patients with within, within that age group to provide the age-specific care that those patients need. And, and doctor, it might be a tough question to answer, but how many patients would you say you know this program has uh, has seen, um, not since inception, but just say like um, in the program today, currently? Um, is it hundreds? Is it it's north not of hundreds? Uh, our program is about three years old, and we have probably seen within the last year about 60 patients. Uh, Some of those are new patients, some of those are existing patients who are on therapy, and some of those are cancer survivors. Because one of the things that many people don't think about is after you have had a cancer diagnosis and received cancer treatment, there are things that we need to monitor for. Our therapies, unfortunately, oftentimes have effects that can appear later. And so monitoring people after therapy is an important part of cancer care. It's called survivorship medicine, and it's, it, that also is relatively new. Um, and we've integrated that survivorship and um, actual cancer care into this clinic. Since there's so many different com- components to the program, and, and my guess is that you leave it to the patient at their discretion, which parts of that that they want to be a part of, if they want to be a part of the fertility, or if they want the anxiety, post-traumatic stress counseling, mm-hmm. that's sort of packaged together, but it's offered to them, and it's at their discretion which part of that they'd like to. Absolutely. And if they choose to accept all of it, then I guess from a pricing perspective, how does that work versus if they just want chemotherapy or if they just want... From a pricing perspective? Yeah, from a pricing uh, Well, that's an interesting thing. So um, one of the things about AYA Oncology, and one of the reasons why when I speak about the way we're doing our program at Oshner, uh, national meetings and have, um, many people are, have been envious, uh, we, insurance doesn't reimburse for a lot of this. Okay. Um, and so what we depend on is philanthropic support. Uh, insurance is not going to pay. A lot of insurance companies don't pay at all for a consult with a dietitian wow. or with a social worker 
or with a psychologist. Uh, and as you can imagine, organizing the schedules of all those different providers so that we're all free at the same time for a half a day, uh, our clinic is a half a day a week, is difficult. Uh, and we're all giving up revenue that we would otherwise be doing because the number of patients we're going to be seeing within that clinic are relatively small. If you're having all those providers see all those patients, you're not seeing a large number of patients. Typically, in a weekly clinic, we'll see five patients. Um, and so we depend on philanthropy to support us because insurance reimbursement doesn't really exist for this. And that's the problem with AYA programs across the country. And they will pay for one provider. If Dr. Delavisio and I both see a, a patient, we're both probably not going to be receiving reimbursement right from the insurance companies because most insurance will only reimburse for one provider during a visit. Right. So from that perspective, obviously, financially, a lot of value to the patient to, you know, if you have to decide between being treated at a hospital that has an AYA program and one that doesn't, then it makes a lot of sense to go to the one that does because, like Oshner, uh, because you're going to get the full benefit of their program for but your insurance company would be willing to pay if it didn't, if it, if it wasn't the AYA program. So Absolutely. Yeah. So um, and it, I mean, that and the fact that you'll get the right treatment, right? So since you have an adult and pediatric oncologist working together, because one of the other issues that we have in AYA oncology um, is that pediatric and adult oncologists don't talk to one another very much. Uh, in many places, children's hospitals have emerged as kind of the paradigm for treating kids. That's great for kids. We get creates environments that are really, really good for young children, but they're often nowhere near where the adult hospitals are. So not only are we separated by different disciplines, we're separated geographically. Many organizations have their children's hospitals miles away from their adult hospital. Um, and so the providers never really talk to one another. Uh, so pediatric oncologists don't know what's going on in adult oncology. Uh, and sharing patients can be difficult under the scenario. Oshner is ideally situated for that because our pediatric and our adult specialists are on the same campus. And because of our AYA program in some ways, We've gotten to know one another really well. So all the pediatric oncologists know the adult oncologists. We talk to one another. So the patients are going to get the most up-to-date care, whether or not that comes from adult medicine or pediatric medicine. That's great. So a lot of cross-fertilization of ideas um, and things like that. So um, my guess is that since this program is was the only one in New Orleans, I think the only one in the state, that you guys pull from geographic regions that are from outside of the state. Yeah. You get patients from Mississippi. We and do. So we have patients from uh, Mississippi. We have patients from Florida. And we have patients from Texas as well. That's great. So since we have you here, we always ask this question so that, uh, you know, there's young, aspiring uh, future physicians that are out there who are listening um, can hear what you have to say. Would you recommend a career in medicine? Uh, can you give any advice for kids in high school or college who want to pursue a career in medicine? Despite the many challenges that we all hear every day about healthcare, um, yeah, I would still recommend a career in medicine. Um, the training is long, arduous. The hours are crazy. Um, when you are a resident, you really do work those 80 and 90 hour weeks and you will be awake for 30 hours at a time and it is insane. Um, but I would not change my job even given all the changes that are taking place in healthcare laws, uh, my working with my patients and um, the, the kick out of, I, I get out of my job is, is something that I couldn't imagine not doing. Um, so I absolutely would re recommend uh, a job in medicine. That's great. Well, I know we're happy to have you, Dr. Bob Vasquez. And um, just one quick question uh, I wanted to ask as I think about it, um, you know, 
hospitals having access to, to uh, phase one clinical drugs or phase two clinical drugs that currently haven't hit the market. Um, you know, it seems to be a big thing, particularly um, when nothing's really working. If, if patients are being treated uh, in your AYA cancer program at Oshner, are they that much more likely uh, to have access to those types of experimental drugs? Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I do. Um, so are they more likely to have access? Fortunately, most of our AYA patients aren't going to need phase one medicines. Phase one trials, as, as, as you probably know, Chad, are very early investigational medicines. Those are medicines that um, we don't really know if they're efficacious for treating the disease. The whole idea of the trial is to find out if there is any efficacy, if they're, one, if they're safe, and then two, if they're actually effective. Um, and uh, so most of our AYA patients, there are standard therapies which have a relatively good success rate. Uh, if they were to need um, phase one trials, we do have a phase one trial program at Oshner, and both Dr. Delavisio and I are connected with that program so we could get the patient into phase one trials if they were appropriate. Okay. And one of the things I've always been impressed with at, uh, at Oshner Hospital is the fact that they're one of the few hospitals, I don't know if there's any other, there might be one other one, that, that do the stem cell transplants. Is that right? That's correct. Uh, in the greater New Orleans area? That is correct. Uh, I think there are more than that. I, I think Tulane does uh, stem cell transplant and Children's uh, Hospital does uh, pediatric stem cell transplant. But at Oshner, um, the adult program is is very large and growing all the time. And the pediatric one is new. Uh, we uh, started about two years ago and we are growing as well. So we are offering stem cell therapy uh, to both adult and pediatric patients at Oshner. And you have patients from in-state, out-of-state, uh, who come and are treated uh, or receive the stem cell transplants here at Oshner Hospital, right? Uh, the adult side definitely has patients from all over Louisiana and, and Mississippi, yes. Right. One of the things I'd like to say about the AOA, just a little, and we can work this in somewhere, um, is as, as you alluded to in your introduction, Chad, um, adolescent young adult oncology is an important field and is because this population is different than the older patients uh, whom most adult oncologists are taking care of primarily, and the younger patients that we see in pediatric medicine. They have different needs, not only in terms of the fact that their cancers may be different, but because the phase of life is different. These are people who are just starting careers or are in college. Uh, they're just starting relationships or recently married or have young kids, which is very different than either little kids or pe people who are in their 60s or 70s. Uh, and so the needs of these patients very, very different. And that's what we're trying to address in our AYA program is all the psychosocial uh, needs as well as the medical needs of these patients. And there's got to be some, some real benefit from receiving treatment um, with other cancer patients who are, uh, who are peers, who are of the same age. You know, you can see kind of as you go through it, they're going through it. Um, there's you know, probably some real bonding that takes place uh, within your AWA, not just between the physician and the survivor, but amongst the survivors themselves, I would guess. Absolutely. Uh, there's some real benefit. When you were diagnosed, you were very young. Did you know other people your age who had cancer? No, I, I, was, I was definitely the youngest person uh, in the chemotherapy clinic uh, at the time receiving treatment. And how did that make you feel? Uh, pretty isolated. Yeah. And that's just it. We, we don't want our patients to feel isolated. We want them to get know that there are other people out there their age who are battling cancer. Uh, that often is helpful, right? You're not alone, right? And knowing that can be a great benefit to our patients too. And there's Absolutely. probably great benefits too for their, for their parents to, to network and meet the other Absolutely. parents and talk about the things to, to do or not do. And Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I can see how there's a lot of benefit to that. Um, one other question I wanted to ask you, uh, if, if tomorrow Bill Gates passed away and you, you're a distant relative of his and he, and he left 
you know, $10 million to you and you could put it into the AYA program, what are, are there any, where would the money go within the AYA program to make the AYA program, you know, even better than it is already, which I know it's an exceptional program. It's got exceptional doctors. Um, but is there anything that you could do with that money to further improve sort of a wish list for the, for the AYA program? Maybe, I don't know, more patient assistance. I know you do a ton of that. Absolutely. Um, but if there's anything else that you can... Oh my God. So having dedicated space would be really nice because right now we do run the clinic out of the pediatric uh, oncology clinic. Um, and as you said, yeah, more patient assistance. Uh, we can help with things like sperm banking for young males, but the cost of fertility preservation for young females is incredibly high. Uh, and I would love to be able to say that every patient who's treated at, at our clinic uh, would have access to that regardless of whether or not they could pay. But I, things like IVF and in vitro fertilization, which um, sometimes is the only method for a woman who's had chemotherapy to get pregnant uh, after she has stored eggs can be incredibly expensive. And the storage of, of eggs is incredibly expensive and the storage of embryos. Uh, so being able to provide that service for every woman would be amazing. Um, being able to provide for our patients so that when you get a cancer diagnosis and you're the, you know, you're either supporting yourself or potentially a young family, you can imagine economically that's devastating for the families uh, and for the, the patient. Um, you can't work who's paying the bills. So being able to provide more patient assistance would be fantastic. Um, being able to you know, do this clinic more often than we are able to do it right now would be amazing. Um, and being able to fund specific research into adolescent and young adult cancers would be fantastic as well. We haven't talked about uh, who a contact person would be for Osher's AYA Cancer Program. Um, who, who would that person be? Well, on our website uh, yeah. at Oshner, there is actually a specific AYA page, and uh, our nurse coordinator uh, would be the first point of contact, or myself, and those that information is on the website, Okay. Uh, or you can call Oshner's direct number. That's great. Well, thank you so much for finding the time to be on our uh, Living Lympho podcast. We're very happy to have you, and thank you for bringing such an amazing program to our state. This AYA cancer program is saving lives, and uh, as a former cancer survivor, I can't thank you enough, and I'm sure everyone out there is thinking the same thing. So thank you, Dr. Bob Vasquez. Thank you, Chad. And thank you so much for Lymphomaniacs and all the good that you do in New Orleans.